Welcome, baseball fans, to Running the Bases. This is Tucker Wells. Coach Bounds and I have been on hiatus for the World Series, but we will be back later this week with a full recap of the World Series, the postseason, and look forward to next year. Right now, I have a very special guest to the show, our first on-phone interview. His name is Michael Stoner, and he is the owner of Stoner Sports and Collectibles. Welcome to the show, Michael. How are you? Good, sir. I'm doing well. Thanks for asking. Well, thank you. Thanks for coming on the show. I know you're a very busy man. Um, you, uh, you, you started out, you went to law school and graduated law school, and then you were a JAG lawyer for how many years in the military? Uh, four years, 70, 71, 72, 73. Came back to Atlanta to set up practice in 74 and practiced until maybe three or four years ago I retired. So you've been practicing law for uh, uh, up and until the last f- uh, until four years ago. Yeah, something like that. Okay. It didn't all happen at once. I slowed down some, and then you know began to wean myself of the cases I had and the clients, and eventually uh, uh, stopped practicing. Kept my license active for emergencies, and ended up doing some consulting and some of that sort of stuff. But uh, I don't do any actual law practice, no courtroom work anymore. No courtroom work anymore. Well, that's all right. Um, so along the way, um, you kind of found a very interesting way into the sports collectibles and memorabilia market. You found it through charity work. Tell us about that. Yeah, I uh, came back from the Army and wanted to do something and started doing some uh, events that I used sports memorabilia from local athletes at first to auction off to the audiences. And then all the money was paid to the Muscular Dystrophy Association. Uh, as I became more and ver- more involved with the MDA, I began to do some of the Jerry Lewis telephones. I was the phone room supervisor, and I would take memorabilia down there, auction it off, and the money would all go to MDA. And I also worked for cystic fibrosis for 15 years and did a lot of memorabilia uh, sales at their events. That's where I... Uh, found an outlet for memorabilia, and it got me into the memorabilia area, and then worked for Muscular District for 32 years, basically until they stopped doing the telethon a couple of years ago. Wow. But that was the uh, intro into it uh, for a while. I, the events that I produced, I uh, used those to get memorabilia to auction off, and then later I actually started going to memorabilia shows, and then from there I started representing some of the promoters of memorabilia shows, and then a few athletes uh, became uh, friends and clients. And now, along the way, yeah, along the way, you, you, you got introduced to Bobby Cox. How did you meet him? You know, that's a good question. I don't think either Bobby and I will remember for sure. We both have the same tax accountant. And, there you uh, go. Yeah, so Bobby was, uh, I guess, a local guy that I met at some point uh, and became sort of friends. And I guess I started representing him on some various items. And I didn't do a whole lot of work for Bobby. And I'm sure he may have had, I didn't do any agency work, for example, in his contracts. In fact, I'm not sure he ever used an agent for many years. But uh, I was friends and, and a client of, uh, he was a client for, I guess, around eight or 10 years. Okay. Um, he was a, guy that I really enjoyed. Uh, I would go down to the stadium, and in those days you could go into the locker room and sit with him and go in, and he was sitting in his box of shorts, and we'd talk baseball, and 
I would be in there with the uh, other coaches early afternoon, and it was a lot of fun. Had you always been a big baseball fan throughout your life? Yeah, I played Little League and Pony League when I was growing up. I uh, wasn't, uh, wasn't a baseball player after my age of 15. I stuck with tennis and other sports, but I uh, always loved it, and I followed it all of my life. Yeah, are you uh are uh, are you from Atlanta? Are you Atlanta native? No, I actually grew up in a small town in Virginia called Danville, which was a little mill town, not that small, fifty thousand. And then I went off to school in North Carolina, and Durham was kind of a small town. So when I went off to law school, I wanted a bigger city, so I chose Atlanta, and I was able to get into Emory, out of Duke, and so that's how I ended up here started in 66 in law school and never left except for the four years in the army right 66 the same year the braves came to atlanta and the falcons uh, absolutely uh growing up did you have a uh were you a braves fan growing up or what what uh what teams were you able to follow in in virginia and uh, uh north carolina you know we used to get the yankees uh broadcast on cbs and that was every saturday and uh, so when I was a kid, obviously, you know, you follow the team you can see. And we saw the uh, the Yankees on CBS. So I was a Yankee fan growing up. And then when I came to Atlanta, I became a Braves fan. And, and you're uh, – uh, this uh, this is perfect. This led you uh, later – you grew up watching Mickey Mantle and then later on in life, after meeting Bobby Cox, you met him and began to represent uh, – uh, Mr. Mantle, tell us about that. Yeah, actually, Mickey has a personal attorney or had a personal attorney when I knew him. In fact, he, the guy represented Mickey from 69 until Mickey died in 95. His name is Roy True. I think his firm is called True Roadie. And I worked with him some on some ventures, but uh, he was Mickey's personal attorney. Mickey had a girlfriend who was his business agent. Her name was Greer Johnson. She was a local gal on the little homecoming court at Briarwood or Briarcliff High School, and then went off and became a teacher up in Reedsville. Met Mickey up in uh, in Atlantic City, and uh, not too long after that, they hooked up as an agent and then fell in love, and she was his girlfriend agent for about 10 years, maybe a little more. And they needed a local attorney, and I guess between Bobby Cox and the promoters of the memorabilia shows who knew me both as a vendor and as a collector and as a an attorney recommended me so I became the attorney for Greer Johnson so as the attorney for Greer Johnson I uh, represented her and uh, and was became friends with Mickey and so Mickey was a friend for nine or ten years what is the what was the demand uh, when you were with when you first started working with Mickey and his girlfriend um, for for autographs of his, trading cards, his memorabilia. What was the demand then when you first started working with him, and what's the demand for his memorabilia today? That's a really interesting question. Uh, he was probably the number one attraction at the card shows. If he came to a show, most of the time it was a success. Uh, there were three kind of icons of that level, and everybody knows them in our industry. It's Mantle Williams and DiMaggio, and um, 
they were the ones that you had them at a show, you were pretty well guaranteed of a really good attendance. And the dealers were pretty well guaranteed of doing pretty good business. So I would say the demand was very high for Mickey uh, for most of, uh, and it started probably in the early 80s. And I can remember Mickey sitting at my house. We used to do a lot of signings with him and saying, you know, in his draw, I got the luckiest guy in the world, man. I ain't played ball in 25 years, and people still pay for my autograph. <laughs> so he That's really a good, was humble in a way. That's a really good impression right there. That is spot on. You hang with a guy for 10 years, you get to hear his voice pretty well, know all the inflections. Absolutely. He was a good guy. A lot of people don't know all the factors of Mickey. Uh, you could see anybody in a bad light, and reporters who had an agenda may report bad things, and those who loved him reported good things. But all in all, Mickey was a really good person with a very big heart and very generous, generous sometimes to a fault. Uh, and did he have a you know, childish way about him sometimes? Sure. Did he have an ego? Yeah, everybody does after years. Uh, did he drink too much? Uh, rumor is. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, but uh, he spent a lot of his time and effort on charitable events. He loaded his name to many events that were to benefit people. He did a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff that nobody has ever heard about. Uh, I'm not sure what things are known now versus what things are not. But, for example, uh, I know there was a a person out in the Greene County area where they had a lake uh, villa that had lost, I think, a spouse or a husband and didn't have enough money to do the funeral. Mickey gave the church money to give to him anonymously on a deal that they would never tell him that Mickey did it. And, you know, just that kind of generosity. He and his agent put together a charitable trust, and much of the money that was raised uh, through sale of his memorabilia and that kind of stuff, went into the charitable trust, and it was distributed. They did golf tournaments to benefit all kinds of different organizations uh, all over the country. Uh, he was a very, very generous man with his time and very, very generous to children's charities, perhaps because he didn't feel he had been a very good daddy himself, but he right. had a lot of empathy for children's causes, yeah. as did his agent who was a school teacher before she became his agent. Yeah, that's great. I mean, it's such, that is the, the the antithesis to the likes of Ted Williams and in this day and age the, you know, Barry Bonds's of the world. What is um what is your most fond memory of uh Mickey Mantle as a friend and Mickey Mantle at the trade show? If you want to share one of each with us. I'd be happy to. Uh as a friend uh, you had to have fairly thick skin to hang with Mickey, like you do with almost any athletes, especially athletes of today, who have a very acerbic wit, very barbed uh, commentary towards you. And Mickey, if he liked you, sometimes could be very funny with things that he did. For example, I was invited to go to dinner with a group of them out in Cincinnati, I showed up at the dinner a little late because I had to change first. When I got there, they had a table of 16, and next to it was a table for one with a note on it for me. So, <laughs> uh, that, that's the kind of thing, and it happened more than once, uh, the kind of thing that he did. Uh, 
no excuses. Golf with him was probably as much fun as anything. Uh, he had a very good golf game. He was about a seven handicap, but he could just be funny on the golf course. And uh, that gave me a lot of opportunity to interact with him on a friendship basis rather than just be in awe. And the hardest thing about being around somebody that you hero worshipped as a kid is to be a friend and not sit there and gush over him and tell him he's the greatest thing since sliced bread. Because they hear that all the time. They'd rather, Mickey would rather sit there and talk about football bets or hunting or fishing or country music or any of a million things, joke around, uh, do anything rather than somebody tell him, oh, I just loved you as a kid, you were my hero, and this kind of stuff. So that was the thing that he put up with a lot at the card shows. You know, I saw people come up to him with their kids and try to explain to the kids what he meant to them and just be there in tears. It's amazing how people hero worshipped him and how many did. I yeah. think he was funny about it. I mean, I think he appreciated it. It certainly made him a lot of money late in life. But I remember him telling me that when they had Mickey Mantle Day at Yankee Stadium, he said it was so loud, he said to me, I felt like Dolly Parton's baby. Is all this for me? <laughs> so, that is great. Uh, he had a good sense of humor, and he enjoyed it practical joke and and I was subject to it sometime I can tell you one story that kind of is interesting when Zell Miller ran for re-election Mickey had become friends with Zell and they invited me to come out to the golf tournament and so I thought that I was going to be involved in some sort of doing an auction as an MC or whatever that's how your ego runs amok you think you're really important right well, he called me and said, can you go by Spencer's and they have a six-foot real-life-looking snake and buy it and bring it out here. So I did, because I'm that kind of slave. And I drove out to Lake Oconee, and we had Zell Miller's golf tournament going on. And my job, this important lawyer, this uh, brilliant tactician, this marvelous representative of the law, my Absolutely. job was to grab a hold of a piece of fishing line and when the couples the groups would come on to the tee miller and mantle would stand up beside them and my job was to jerk this piece of plastic off of the snake so the governor of our state and mickey mantle could jump up in the air and scare the four people who were there on the on the tee with them (laughs) that was my job i was the puller of string that's uh sounds like this, uh, the job we all dream of as children. Yeah, your uh, your you... ego runs amok. I have one more story about that to show how little I knew about my value. Um, when Mickey got out of Betty Ford, he had agreed to do an interview with Bobby Costas, and they were going to do it out at Lake Oconee. And the night that Bobby Costas was flying into Atlanta there was a board meeting at Stone Mountain. And Hank Aaron and Greer Johnson are both on the board of directors, or were at that time. This is 94, I think. And uh, Greer asked me if I would take Mickey to the airport and pick up Bobby Costas. And Mickey had stopped drinking, so we weren't going to go to the airport and sit in the bar and wait. In fact, 
uh, I told Mickey, if you don't want to go in, I'll go in and pick him up and bring him out. And he said, no, I'll go in. We'll get a Diet Coke. He said, I ain't drinking no more. But she didn't, by the way. He never had a drink after he got out of Betty Ford. But at any rate, I went into the board meeting to tell Greer that I was going to take Mickey to the airport and where we would meet up afterwards. Hank Aaron looked at me. Remember I told you I did some legal work for Hank Aaron? Three yep. different days I spent with him. He looked at me with a blank stare. Greer was so embarrassed for me. She goes, Hank, you remember our lawyer, Mike, don't you? And Hank looked at me and said, oh, yeah, how's your tennis game? <laughs> he remembered I played tennis. That's how much I impressed him with my legal work. So now <laughs> my ego's already kind of shot, and I drive Mickey to the airport, and here's my thinking. I'm there to make sure Mickey doesn't say something to Bobby Costas that could go out over the air. After all, Bobby's a reporter. Mickey's a famous figure. And I'm there to make sure Mickey doesn't slip up and say something that would be embarrassing. So we pick Bobby up. He gets in the back of my car. And I don't know that they're friends. But Bobby goes to Mickey and says, Mick, tell me that story about you and the hooker when you were a rookie. And they begin to tell the raunchiest story you've ever heard. <laughs> and all I'm sitting there thinking, I'm a chauffeur. I'm not here for legal work. I'm a chauffeur. <laughs> my ego, once again, not stroked by my friendship with the uh, heroes. And truly so all of I, your, right, all of your gifts being used to their fullest in that moment. Exactly. That's, a, that's how great I was as a lawyer. I, uh, I was a chauffeur and I was a tennis player. There not you go. so, uh, not so famous, I'm afraid. Well, but you, it was fun. Yeah, you know, it's as as uh, my uncle once told told me that for every guy that's the guy, there's two thousand guys behind him making him the guy. So, um, <laughs> but at any rate, so you have uh, your company now is uh, Stoner Sports and Collectibles. And um, how long have you been doing memorabilia with that with that moniker, with that company? Like, when did you found that? You know, I really don't remember. Uh, it kind of evolved as opposed to being created. Uh, it really is not a, a – I never incorporated it. It's just me. Uh, my son worked with me uh, from the time he was about 15 or 16. So – and he's now 39, so that's – it's probably been 25 years that I've been doing the business in various stages. Uh, in the last, say, 15 or 20 years, I've become a little more selective in what I carry. I have a lot of high-end memorabilia that's in custom frames. Uh, I have a website that I haven't updated in 15 years. Uh, if you want to know where I am in 2006, check out my website. Right. Otherwise, uh, <laughs> I'm of no use on that. But I uh, go to shows around the country, and the major shows are in Houston and Chicago and a place called Chantilly, which is a D.C. area. And then I do two shows a year here in Atlanta. Uh, one at Father's Day, I'm at the Concourse Athletic Club in Sandy Springs for a week before Father's Day, where people can actually come and see my stuff there and buy it. And then I do two weeks after Thanksgiving this year, I'll be at the concourse uh, for uh, five days. Then I'm closed for the weekend and back up for another five days. So about two weeks minus the weekend between uh, two weeks after Thanksgiving so that people can shop with me here at Christmas because 
other than that, my stuff stays locked up in storage until I go to the next show. And do you uh, how how are you are you uh, frequently acquiring new memorabilia, or are you focused on uh, you know putting effort on on the 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 valuable uh, the valuable pieces that you already have? Uh, kind of a combination. I do carry some common stuff that's uh, more popular with current guys. You know, I'll have something from the Braves, and I'll have something maybe from. Uh, when I do my shows, I have some college stuff, banners, and some uh, memorabilia from local colleges. Uh, I do, uh, but I try to concentrate on the higher end autographs. Uh, Walter Johnson and Cy Young and Ty Cobb and Jim Thorpe and Babe Diedrichson, and, uh, those kind of guys. I have a lot of golf stuff with the popular golfers, a lot of Palmer Nicholas, some Tiger stuff. And, then, you know, usually I'll have somebody like uh, McElroy and Phil Mickelson and some of those guys as well. Uh, I'll have some pieces from those guys. I do uh, a pretty good range of stuff. And my fame, if there is such a thing as fame in my world, uh, is uh, that I use autographs and then I do a lot of research to find unusual photographs to put with them and do high-end framing, suede and wood and, you know, those kind of nicely high in frame. So when somebody comes to my place uh, or a show and they're buying something, they could buy it and hang it right in their den, their man cave, their office right away, as opposed to having to buy the autograph and go do the research that I've already done for them. Well, that's great. Um, it, for our listeners that want to uh, look at your collection, the website stonersports.com, you say that hasn't been updated since uh, the Bush administration. Um, is there uh, on Facebook at Stoner Sports and Collectibles? Is that a good way to uh, see your tour schedule and when you're doing shows? You know, I try to put something on Facebook, and I do have a uh, Facebook um, page, Stoner Sports and Collectibles. You can, I don't know what my son says, you can like me on that. I don't like me. I don't know why anyone else would. But anyway, <laughs> you can like me on that. And I think on Stoner Sports and Collectibles, there's a picture of me holding a baby tiger, feeding it, which has nothing to do with this. I just like the photo, so I had that on there. Hey, there you and go. Somewhere on that on that page, on my Facebook thing, there are some photographs of a lot of my memorabilia. So I think you can see some of the types of stuff that I carry. But obviously, most of my stuff is one of a kind. So if you're going to see my stuff and you're in Atlanta, your best way is to come by the Christmas show and it'll be spread out in the lobby of the Concourse Athletic Club. And it's a great club. It's, people are interested in joining the club. It's the nicest one in Atlanta, I think. It has a great restaurant there right there. You don't have to be a member to come to the club and visit or see my stuff or to eat in a restaurant. So there you I go. certainly would invite people to come to, to that. I think they would enjoy it. Even if they come and bring their kids just for a museum-like look, it's something that I think they will find enjoyable because there'll be stuff there from current players you'll see Derek Jeter stuff you'll see uh stuff from a lot of the football teams uh, it's not going to be just a uh a bunch of old guys I mean, I've got Manuel Williams DiMaggio I've got Montana I've got Joe Namath I've got you know Walter Payton Peyton Manning I mean I've got a wide wide range of items of stuff so if you come, I think you'll find something that you'll enjoy. And if you want to buy a Christmas present for somebody, that's a good time to do it. 
we take all kinds of charge cards, and uh, we even have layaway plans. There you go. Well, thank you so much. We will definitely be putting your information uh, for that show and others on the Running the Bases uh, Facebook page. And we would be happy to put it on Twitter as well. Uh, hopefully get you some new new fans and new clients coming to your shows. So, Michael Stoner, thank you so much. I'm sorry. I just wanted to say a thank you to you for uh, honoring me with a call. I'm appreciative of it. I certainly don't consider myself a celebrity worthy of... Uh, this, but I, I do occasionally get a call from somebody who wants to talk about the memorabilia business, and uh, so it's always a pleasure to do it. I enjoy it. I've been doing it for a long time, and it's uh, more fun than practicing law, I think. <laughs> well, I hope so. Well, from uh, Coach Bounds and myself, we are, you know, just just at our hearts, we're just pure baseball fans. And I certainly collected cards growing up and have a, a, a fond appreciation for what you do from, you know, the trade shows I've been to. So, Michael Stoner, thank you so much for joining us. And um, I hope to talk to you again soon. Hope to have you on soon. Thank you, and uh, anytime you'd like to talk, I'm embarrassingly available. Take care. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you, good sir. We'll talk to you again soon. Thank you. Bye-bye. Once again, thank you to everyone listening on SoundCloud and on iTunes. Be sure to like the Running the Bases Facebook page and follow us on Twitter, at Running the Base. This has been Tucker Wells coming into home.